Jim, I leave London 4 o'clock. Arrive L.A. 9. I guess that's London time. Yeah, 4 to 9 is 5, minus 12 hours flying. No, plus 12 hours. Ah, but then there's the time change. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. Right off the bat, I need to apologize to you, Epi, because mm. when I... <laughs> proposed this as our next episode i did not check and did not realize that it is in fact a two-parter uh yes (laughs) Um, i hope that did not throw off your viewing schedule like it kind of did to me because i (laughs) i did not realize until i was loading it up for my own uh uh, note-taking sesh for our listeners sake i should just maybe paint a little bit of a picture of what well actually basically watching a rockford files episode takes a bit longer if you're taking a bunch of notes you're stopping and rewinding and trying to figure out what happened, not trying to figure out what happened, but like write down what you need to do and, you know, all that. But I will say, uh, despite the fact that this was a two-parter, it flew by. Oh, yeah. Th- this was uh, deliciously paced, I mm-hmm. think. As And so, yeah, going into it, I had a little like, oh, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is, uh, signed up for twice the amount of time. But it turned out it, it didn't feel like that. I mean, it it did take longer to do, obviously, but yeah, yeah, same. I was kind of by the end of the first episode, I was like, wow, that just flew by. The first episode in particular, like the ending of it, I was like, wait, what? We're, oh yeah, I guess we are at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before getting any farther, I suppose I should say that we are talking about season five, episode nine, or in syndication, episodes nine and ten, mm-hmm. Black Mirror. This is one of those double-length episodes when it originally aired and then was split into two episodes with a, you know, next time on, previous time on, you mm-hmm. know, a little splice um, for, for syndication, which is how I have it on my Blu-ray set. It's in the two the two halves. Yeah, the DVD set is the same, uh, which is my first clue that something <laughs> might have been wrong. <laughs> well, so the IMDb entry is the single one, which is why yeah. I didn't realize, because I did not look at the runtime, and did <laughs> not realize that it was the, uh, the double length. But... That is, uh, it is an apology, but I don't. But I'm not sad that we no. uh, did this one because, uh, spoiler alert, it's really good. It is. So we are doing this one in particular because our last episode was on the '90s movie mm-hmm. Punishment and Crime, featuring the return of the character of Megan Doherty, uh, played by Catherine Harold. And as it so happened, we had not seen any of the original series ones with that character. So now we're going back to fill in that background. And this is the first appearance of Megan Doherty. This is a little bit of a pattern with us. I I mean, it happened with Gandhi as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll watch the final episode with the character and then be like, oh, right. We should go back and watch the previous ones. Um, And I'm not saying that I recommend that in particular for anyone, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And it's, it was very interesting watching this uh, and kind of noticing the, the call outs or allusions to it in, in the, in reverse order, if you Mm -hmm. will. Yeah. There were moments where I was like, Oh, that is very much like the movie. And then obviously for the movie, it was a callback to this moment in this episode, which are separated by about 20 years of time. Almost. Yes. That movie was, was 1996 finished in 1995. This episode is 1978. But they they clearly had the movie in mind when they did this one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think a lot of that continuity probably can also be attributed to the fact that this this episode and that movie were both David Chase productions by David Chase for David Chase. Um, 
This one is written and produced by. The movie was written, produced, and directed by Chase. And I guess we will see on the second appearance of uh, Megan, uh, if that is also a David Chase um, uh, production. But I think that continuity of character makes total sense when you consider the, you know, having the same writer, etc. Yeah. This episode is directed by Arnold Lavin. I think that is how it was pronounced. Or Lavin. Only Rockford Files... um, appearance for this director but seems like kind of an interesting guy um he was a producer and then a director starting in the 50s and he was directing tv all the way into the 80s he's of the generation of movie people that came out of the air force first motion picture unit in world war ii oh wow so that that's that's the the cohort that includes uh reagan uh, oh. but also like uh clark gable oh and william holden mm-hmm. uh this guy met two other guys there and they made a production studio post-war levy gardner lavin the gardner as far as i could tell is no relation to james <laughs> well garden gardner it's not the same name not bum gardner no um and so they did they they produced movies through the 50s uh and tv through the 50s and 60s you know he ends up directing a lot of tv um two episodes of richie brockleman pi Oh, and nice. Two episodes of Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, most relevant oh, okay. to our yeah. uh, to our interests. But looking through his credits, I thought it was interesting because you could really kind of see the trajectory of popular shows because it really just goes from like westerns, and he produced a, a big, a couple of big western shows in like the the late fifties, early sixties, um, westerns to to crime and detective and police stuff yeah. to like action. His last couple of credits are like the A team <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, it was an interesting view, a little deeper into the past of most of the uh, production staff that we see. There's there there'll be some uh, I presume directorial flourishes in this episode that uh, are pretty interesting. It's a little opaque to me who makes decisions about like cinematography or music or, you know, what, what have you, uh, whether it's the director or the cinematographer or, right. you know, whatever. But there's definitely things going on um, visually and, and with the soundtrack in this episode that. Uh, Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. The soundtrack in particular, and we'll talk about it for sure. But um, also some of the some of the camera work, which I would describe as cinematic. Kind of in the same way as, and I think this episode has a lot of similarities to uh, Crackback, which we did a yeah. couple episodes ago, which is kind of a similar premise uh, where Beth is the target of some kind of creepy stalking. Um, this episode will have Megan Doherty as the target of some creepy stalking in a different way. It's a very different mm-hmm. episode, but yeah. thematically, they're kind of a thematic pair. Some of the camera work reminded me of Crackback because in Crackback, it reminded me of like... A suspense movie like a like a hitchcock or something yeah yeah, yeah. so i think we uh can get right into it uh, i will go into the opening montage i don't actually have a lot of notes on the opening montage there's not is... much it's very it's very spare yeah um there's just the the wonderful exchange about you know two zillion i i don't remember what rockford's line is but dennis's response was like that must account for the two zillion happy relationships i see all the time which is great uh but it's a it's a dark one like th- that is definitely the, the what you get is that this mm-hmm. is not going to be uh i, I don't want to say goofy it's not it's not going to be a lighthearted episode no there's a little more context in the show but they use the cut of 
Jim saying, like, what you were being subjected to is called psychological rape. Oh, yeah. And that's in yeah. the preview montage. Yes. Be be aware. I mean, listener, but be aware of you are. This one's going to be a little darker one. Yeah. It's as close <laughs> as 1978 gets to a content warning, right? right like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. I don't remember if this is in the preview, um, but like there's a lot going on in this episode that is. Uh, first of all, when I t- say this episode, I'm I'm smashing them both together because uh, that's just how I experience them. This is definitely a single story. Yeah, it's not like Gear Jammers where there are two separate halves that you can kind of just talk about separately. This one, they, they we will talk about the break when it happens, but um, a lot of things in this feel for the time very sensational. Like we're going to yeah. talk about things that are like everyone's talking about. And um, I really enjoy how this subverts that. And we'll mm-hmm. get into that as we go along. But like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. When we get into it. That's, as we say. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say so content warning wise, you know, it is a darker one. It is. There is stalking. There is a lot of language about mental illness that may have not aged particularly well. But it's not, like, horrible. It's more like, I feel like we don't talk about it that way anymore kind of stuff. But I'm also not really qualified to say what a more um, appropriate, you know, set of terms would be or something like that. Uh, But there are definitely those moments where I'm like, "Mm, I don't think we say that that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of menace, but there isn't any, like, serious violence or gendered violence, uh, which is is good. Because it is very tense without having Mm -hmm. to... I would say, in fact, it is a wonderful example of how to create menace and tension without using physical violence. Hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I I did. I did. (laughs) And it is because of our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 today. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. That is the podcast before the podcast and that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives Mm -hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things yeah we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day join mitch hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the journey of an aesthete podcast wherever you get your podcasts dale norwood wrote a book find trading freedom how trade with china defined early america wherever good books are sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party, has all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Dale Church. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenner at Antenner on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you could do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thank you. Thanks so much. 
Before we start our episode, I will just mention that we do have our 200-a-day shirts available for pre-order. As of when this episode comes out, they should be going through the month of March 2023. And you can go to ndpdesign.com slash Rockford to check out the shirt designs and see if you would like to support the show by picking one up. Yeah, uh, they're gorgeous. You're just, just going to look good in them. That's all. That's, that's the only thing I can say about that. Even though this is going to be a darker show, we do start off very light uh, with, a, mm-hmm. with, the, with what I term a jaunty version of the theme over a slow zoom into a bright light, which I'm sure is just a studio light, but it's kind of like looking at the sun or something, right? Yeah. It's a big bright circle. It says Black Mirror right in the middle of it. And then we get the titles over some very uh, uh, pastoral shots of the beach in Paradise Cove, everyone. It's very busy. Everyone's hanging out. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. We pan across people jogging and playing ball and just having a good time until we get to Jim and Angel and the first piece of dialogue. (laughs) It's a definite no, Angel. (laughs) Angel is uh, trying to borrow Jimmy's car, but the last time he did, he returned it with no reverse, chili on the seats, and different tires. Angel is offended. (laughs) Yes, Angel's response is, wrong, wrong, they were the same tires. I love that he just, like the other part, no reverse. Chilly on the seats, that happened. But I, I, I wouldn't sell your tires. <laughs> As they're walking, Angel sees a football that's been abandoned <laughs> on a uh, uh, beach towel. He picks it up. He wants Jim to go deep. He remembers throwing around the old pigskin in the prison yard. <laughs> uh, and Jim is like, I don't want to do this. Uh, but Angel throws it anyway. And it arcs over Jim and roll hits and rolls right over a woman who is sunbathing. Uh, Jim almost runs into her trying to get the ball and we have a meet cute, I would say. Yeah. Uh, as this is who we are anticipating and who we recognize <laughs> from having yes. seen the movie that comes out 20 years later. Um, but we will, you know, soon find out that this is, uh, Megan Doherty sunbathing on the beach. They just have a bit of a chat. Mm-hmm. It, I, I would say it's a little charged. Like, I think we're, we're supposed to absolutely read it as this is like a flirty thing mm-hmm. you start to forget that angel's there to your detriment she asks about the um the the seafood place up by the highway and jim is like no don't go there um <laughs> <laughs> he has a a great line about the lobsters rumbling with the rats every mm-hmm. night and the, and the lobsters aren't winning so yeah. yeah so that place is bad but the one on the beach is good so she should mm-hmm. go because she's like where should my friend me and my friends go to eat the the sand pebble um mm-hmm. is the the restaurant on the on the beach i was looking through this episode's entry uh in ed robertson's book and he clarifies something that i always always have trouble remembering which is the deal with the restaurant um <laughs> the sand pebble is is the actual restaurant and it's called the sand pebble it was referred to as the sandbox in a sixth season episode. Um, and then it's called the sand castle in the movies. So I think we've talked about what was that place called again? So this is all the same place. Um, the sand pebble is the place that is now, uh, Bob Morris's paradise beach cafe. Hey, we are both wearing memorabilia, (laughs) a generous gift from one of our patrons who hooked us up with some merch. You can't see us. So I had to say it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're wearing our uniforms. We're, we're representing, Anyway, this conversation ends with Jim asking her if she'd like to skip lunch with her friends and get dinner with him instead. And she shoots him down. She has to work. Yeah. What about tomorrow? 
I'm working tomorrow too. I work mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> and Jim kind of gives the like, all right, well, you know, you tried. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as he leaves to go rejoin Angel, uh, we see some uh, a guy who's in extremely good shape rejoin yeah. <laughs> Megan on the beach towel. Angel is walking away with the football stuffed up the back of his shirt. <laughs> and Jim makes him give it back and throw back towards where it came from so he does not steal the football right off the beach. Angel's plan, like he mentioned that he had like a nephew's birthday coming up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Angel. So I I would notice and then not notice and then notice. So I didn't keep a hard track. But we start with the, the jaunty version of the theme through the credits. And then for... Pretty much the rest of the episode, there is no score except when there's tension music, which we'll talk yeah. about. And when there's some romantic music. Yeah. But I think there's like no other like little variations of the score, little harmonica stings. This particular moment, uh, when when uh the the younger man shows up, the music goes sad. And mm-hmm. I think that's the end of my notes on that. Like, yeah, I think yeah. that was like, I just was like, I noticed that it was almost the, you know, uh, almost like womp womp. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The price is right. Trump, you know, yeah. burp, 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 you know <laughs> yeah. just like a little, uh, Jim, you're not going to compete with that. Right. But yeah, once that goes away, we get almost no music and mm-hmm. it is, uh, you don't notice it till you notice it. And then it, it's very effective. Yeah. There's really interesting things going on with that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is that uh, uh, Megan is wearing these <sighs> frosted isn't the right word. She's she's wearing these tinted sunglasses that are like really yeah. dark at the top and fade down to light at the bottom, which are totally beach appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, we know because we've watched the earlier episode that she's blind. The episode teases this out for us over the next yeah. couple scenes, though. I was wondering a little bit about it. Like, OK, I can I suspect that we're not supposed to know. We're definitely Jim's not supposed to know she's blind. Right, right, yeah. That whole interaction was th- that part was clear. I don't think the preview montage really reveals that. Maybe if you were paying attention, you would. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, the viewing audience, because there was a moment a little bit later on. There's a moment where it establishes, I think, yeah. for you, the viewer, like, oh, she's blind. And I'm trying to figure out, yeah, if this is like supposed to be a oh, or if it's just like. Okay, now we've given up on that pretense. You know, let's move on. Or, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be like, whoa, can you believe yeah. it? It's more of like a slow fade into the character, right. I think. Yeah. And I think it's important that the character is not initially given to us on her first appearance, first thing, as like, she's blind, right? right. Like, right. I think it's important to her as a character that that is actually a lower key part of her personality than what we see first, which is she's, you know, a little spiky, can be a little definite, right. is open to flirting, but isn't necessarily willing to go farther than she wants <laughs> to go, right? Yeah. Stranger on a beach. Yeah. So we do go to Megan Doherty, PhD nameplate. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a clinical psychologist. A group meeting is breaking up uh, in her office. She's on the phone, and we see she's wearing the same sunglasses. And these are the ones she wears all the time, pretty mm-hmm. much, right? So, but that's, I think, our first little, like, cue. Um, we watch the group leave. They get in an elevator. We see a shot of the empty floor outside her office. When we go back to Megan, she's finished her call. She gets her coat. And then we see her get her the white 
um, stick. I don't know what those are called. It's a cane. Get the white, the white cane with the red. The assistance. Yeah. And so that is the like reveal for lack of a better word. Um, We have a perspective shot through a doorway crack of her leaving her office. Mm -hmm. So establishing a little tension right away. Uh, There's still no music as we see a pair of red sneakers. And then as she's waiting for the elevator, a hand reaches out from out of frame and helps her put her coat on. Yeah. Um, There's a close up of a cigarette and then smoke starts getting blown into her face. And then this is when the the the, the anxiety music, I think is what (laughs) I end up calling it in my notes. Uh, The anxiety music starts and we'll put a, a clip of it in here. Maybe it's phased? I forget what the term is, yeah. but it, there's a very certain sound to it that if you know audio editing, you probably know what it's called. But it's kind of like the, the endlessly rising tone, but yeah. very deep. It's uh, very creepy. What it reminds me of, because it's used, this kind of thing is used almost exactly the same way, it's one of my favorite parts of uh, the Dark Knight Nolan movie, uh-huh. where part of the Joker's soundtrack, whenever the Joker's doing stuff they have this kind of tone in the soundtrack ah. and it's like really, it's a little higher pitch. It's more tinny, but like I notice it every time <laughs> and it's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> so I'm like, huh, okay. Innovating on that technique here in, in the seventies. We have that rising in volume as these hands still from out of frame. We're not seeing the person at all. Mm-hmm. Start rubbing her face and kind of groping at her shoulders. She starts yelling, yells to stop it. And starts cringing away from the hands. And then we just see the motion of this man just walking away in silence. He hasn't made yeah. sound. She's freaked out. She doesn't know if this guy's still here or not. The elevator still is an opening. She make, she finds her way to the um, stairway. And she's go, getting down the stairs as quickly as she can. And ends up kicking a bucket that's on the stairs. And that's when our anxiety music cuts. And we see a man below her who's the janitor. Who's like, oh, is everything okay? There's there's a moment just before this, I think. Now I I may be misremembering a little bit, but I think there's a moment where she comes down at least one flight of stairs and she stops, for lack of a better term, to look around, but mm-hmm. like she's blind, so she's listening, right? Like yeah. she's and the music stops in that moment so that we as the audience hear the empty stairwell along with her Mm -hmm. and then it pops back. I think it's, I think that's right. Yeah. It's really effective because it, it it gives you the, like you're also listening more carefully than, than you would have because this, this noise that had been, you know, blocking things out uh, disappears and you're just like, what are we supposed to hear? And there's nothing. And it's, it's good. I like it. So the, the tension is broken with this uh, janitor in his bucket. Um, yeah. you know, she's obviously upset. He, she's like, I think there's someone behind me chasing me. He goes up to check. We hear a door close, but he doesn't mm-hmm. see anything. She's like, the elevator wouldn't come. He's like, oh, well, I was cleaning it out. It has to happen sometime. Like, just a coincidence <laughs> kind of thing. He asks if she's all right. And she's saying yes while she's, like, crying and hunching over herself. clearly not all right that's where we cut to jim looking down the telephone listings (laughs) looking for the name doherty this is interesting i wonder if this is a callback right because in the movie in the movie yeah i thought this too we get a close-up of her nameplate in the movie as well and then we i don't remember the exact order but he definitely like looks her up in the phone book afterwards i guess the only reason why that stood out to me is that 
Um, we don't normally see him looking people up in the phone book. Uh, I mean, occasionally, like if he's at like a public phone or something like that. But we usually don't see the text of the book as he's looking down. Yeah, like we see him with the phone book, but we don't necessarily always see the page. Also, as this is about to uncover for us, he's looking her up. Um, with no intent to do anything with that information, <laughs> which yeah. is very grade schooly. Like, I just want to make sure this woman still exists or something, you know, like it's, it's the 70s version of uh, Instagram stalking. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm just going to look yeah. at this person's profile. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to friend them, but I'm just going <laughs> to take a look, see what they put out there in the world. Uh, Rocky is watching over his shoulder mm-hmm. <laughs> and sees apparently her listing has PhD. <laughs> so, yes, he sees that she's a PhD. Ain't you going to phone her? No. Well, why are you looking in the phone book, then? Just idle curiosity. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Am I in a time warp or something? I don't believe this. I haven't heard dialogue like this since I was in short pants. (laughs) I just had a passing interest in her, and Rocky doesn't (laughs) think it sounds very passing. He wants him to call her, thinks he would like her. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about Rocky. He's like, I think I'd like her. Yeah. Yeah. Jim explains how he got shot down once already. <laughs> and Rocky, I feel like this is a, uh, I don't know, a view into Rocky's past. When your mom first met me, she swore she would never date me. But she came around. <laughs> Jim ends the scene with, I got the definite impression this one doesn't need anybody. Mm-hmm. Cut to a ringing phone where we're with Megan in her bed at night. And it is a uh, harassing phone call that starts out saying it's from the building management for like her office building mm-hmm. as saying they're repainting the hallway. And what color would she like? And starts lift, listing off, you know, weird colors. Oh, um, from... Yeah. We see that that also freaks her out uh, as it should. <laughs> mm-hmm. We cut from her hanging up to another ringing phone, which is Jim's phone, where he is uh, snoozing in his chair, but he picks it up. And it is, in fact, Megan calling him when they met on the beach. You know, he said, like, I live I live here. I'm a P.I., right? And yeah. So she knows that he's a P.I. That was established for us so that she calls him and says, I think I need a private investigator. I, I do like this uh, series of scenes where they keep the cuts, the, the switching back and forth are all on the phone. Yeah. Um, you know, we make the joke and the cut kind of thing. And this is kind of that, although the material... Well, on Jim's side, this schoolboy crush business is kind of a when joke. When she says, like, but... this is Megan Doherty, and he's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> he's like, ah, calling back, I see. Yeah. Right? Um, there is one good, true joke in the cut, actually, at the end of the next scene. But uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, the, the transitions are very crisp. Yeah, yeah. We go to Jim getting out of the elevator to go, you know, to go to Megan's. There's another guy in the elevator, and he kind of stumbles past Jim, and we see that he's drunk. This is important later. You know, he knocks. Megan lets uh, lets him in. We watch Jim. Like, she's like, oh, you know, come in. Would you like some coffee? He says mm-hmm. yes. So we watch Jim watch her move around the apartment, you know, establishing her in the same way that we see her in the movie. Yeah. She can get around her own environment just fine. But she does have some little, like, like she uses her hands to guide herself around stuff. Um, you know, uses her finger to check the level of liquid in the coffee, like that kind of stuff. That one, the the using the hand to check the level of the liquid. It's interesting that in the movie she had a device to do that, Did and uh, yeah, she had like a little thing that she hung on it that beeped. I, I think it made like a um, 
it played like a little tune when the liquid reached the oh. level mm-hmm. of it. And uh, I wondered if there was something deliberate about that. Like, did somebody like did they do use the hand to t- check if the coffee reached the high enough level? If somebody was like, you know, we don't do that, we could burn ourselves. Right, right, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was just a thing that I just. I noted the device in the movie mm-hmm. because I thought it was kind of a neat device. And then, uh, yeah, this is the, this is the analog version. Yeah. I, I was like, Oh, she's going to use it here. And she d- didn't. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that okay. So I, I don't think there's like a lot of deliberateness in it. No, 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 no. I think this is that just, I noticed. Yeah. This is just how this character lives in this yeah. time. Yeah. Then he looks and sees her cane and we see yeah. Jim realize that she's blind. Yeah. We cut from there to she has obviously filled him in on what has just happened and they're moving on with the conversation. Um, you know, I have a couple obvious questions. Uh, do you have any enemies? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, no, she doesn't have any enemies. She lives alone. She has no idea who would want to do this. Jim floats going to the police, but she doesn't want to do that. And there's a very specific chain of of reasoning here, which is if she goes to the police, what they're going to want to do is look at her patient files and Mm -hmm. listen to her tapes from her patient uh, interviews. She can't do that because it's a violation of of uh, uh, doctor patient confidentiality. And they're, you know, they're just going to assume it's one of my patients and I can't let them like look through all the stuff. So it's not going to, you know, it'll not be effective. Jim says, well, there's a certain logic to, could it be one of your patients? Mm-hmm. And she is very resistant to this idea. Um, she says that she works with conflicted people, depressed people, not psychotics or psychopaths. I think one of the reasons that this goes by at such a nice clip is that these scenes that are mostly conversation, talking about things that are happening, also revealing character. Yeah. That are an extremely natural language. Yes. <laughs> uh James Garner and Catherine Harold have really good chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, both on-screen chemistry and then also romantic chemistry. So, like, it's fun to watch. It's just it's just an, an engaging thing to 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 have enter your eyes and your brain. But and I think you you really hit it when you, like the the amount of load that the dialogue is kind of effortlessly carrying mm-hmm. because it's doing it naturally, but it's like laying out all of these things that we need to know to go forward. Uh, yeah, it definitely helps it. Like w- nothing feels like you're you're like, well, let's ingest this. Let's mm-hmm. let's sit down and go through the details. Um, this whole episode has a lot of like really great dialogue that we're not going to break down because it does not mm-hmm. sound good when we just repeat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a very watch the episode, um, episode, but the, the high points here, um, is they talk about, uh, uh, even if they're not like psychotic, there's still conflict in the process. She mm-hmm. admits sometimes a patient might be fighting for control. Maybe that's gone outside of the therapy room. And this is where Jim has the line again with this little additional context where she's, where she's like, I can't violate confidentiality. And Jim says he understands, but the criminology term for what you're going through is yeah. psychological rape. And I was like, that's an interesting way to phrase it. I don't know if that's an actual thing. Yeah. I don't know either, but it is a strong statement that really sets the tone for yeah. what's happening. Um, if he's going to help, he would need the same disclosure. Like he would need to look through her files and she's not willing to do that. Um, so she says she's just going to have to get through it herself, ask how much she owes him. He says it's on the house and they have a great exchange here that I think is a good yes. Rockford files moment, mm-hmm. uh, where she says, I insist your time is valuable. And he replies, <laughs> well, not to you. There's nothing I can do for you. 
so she's looking for a way to you know pay him uh mm-hmm. there's a lot about professionalism they're both professionals they have conflict over what being a professional means to each of them right like it's her professionalism that's keeping the cops and to some extent him out of the the situation here but she also understands that as a professional she should pay him how much do i owe you for the consultations it's on the house no i insist your time's valuable well not to you because there's nothing i can do for you i did think that maybe you could check the hallway maybe uh something fell out of his pocket or came off his shoe maybe sand found only in one tiny coastal town in argentina and i track him down that way i'm sorry it just doesn't work that way it's uh, i guess people seen too many movies and there's a good moment of both of their faces because it's just a thing you say but he realizes oh see movies you don't see movies and she kind of has a bit of a look of like, I get that you did not say that in a hurtful way, right. but like, come on. <laughs> His version of trying to, to solve this conundrum is how about you can buy me dinner? Mm. And he mm-hmm. re-extends his invitation. You know, she says she's not interested. He's like, Oh, now you're angry. Uh, she talks about, she hates being boxed in, which again is a core character thing. Um, feeling like she can't move anywhere. They have a bit back and forth about whether she's angry and then as he's leaving, uh, she says, if you think I'm angry, maybe it's because you feel a little bit guilty. I won't <laughs> charge you for that. Yes. <laughs> like, that one's on the house. <laughs> Jim looks at her and like, I don't feel guilty. And that's the joke in the cut where it goes directly to Jim <laughs> saying, I feel so guilty. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It, uh, that whole scene, like, very good. But like you said, lots of good banter, lots of good just, you know, back and forth. The, the characters are revealing a bunch of stuff to us explaining why we can't just have the police solve the problem what are the what are the constraints that we're going to see going forward and why those make sense in this world but also like we do see the two characters explore their relationship right like mm-hmm. it is great that she rejects him because in this moment where she's vulnerable and he just takes another shot at like asking her out and it's like, ah, oh, Jim. It's like, since while well, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah, like, like this is a really bad time to do that. And she she very firmly and just is like, nope, and that's it. And I I dig that. Um, but it all like, yeah, like it just it establishes what's going on between the two of them. In addition to like everything else we need to know for the 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 plot, the, the you know the story, the story. Jim's line, I feel so guilty, is being delivered to Dennis. Yeah. He's now Lieutenant Dennis Becker. This <laughs> occurs the <laughs> after the episode where he's taking his lieutenant's exam. I would have to go back back to the tape to see if this is the first episode where he's a lieutenant. It's possible just because, first of all, there's an establishing shot with a mug that says Lieutenant Becker on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and second of all, he's writing... He's working on his remarks to the academy class breakfast. He's an administrator now, uh, so he has a different set of responsibilities. Um, yeah, it it feels very much like it's his debut for us yeah. as, as as a uh, a detective, as a lieutenant, a lieutenant. Sorry, uh, and even if it isn't, it's you know the nature of broadcast television. It's definitely going to be for someone, right? Right? right like yeah. like you know, you, you're not going to get. Every episode in a row kind of thing. I do appreciate that he has his own office now as lieutenant, as opposed to being yes. out on the floor <laughs> at a desk. 
So this whole scene is two friends who are both having issues and need the other one as a sounding board, but is not actually listening to the other person. Yes. <laughs> He's working on his on his remarks. Uh, Jim can't shake this thing with uh, with Megan. Um, Dennis is like, is this because she's blind? He's like, no, it's not because she's blind. Uh, she's fierce. She's independent. But uh, I forget the term he uses, but my note is they just don't have they just don't vibe. <laughs> yes. He says hello. She says goodbye. He says cat. She says dog. Do you know anyone mm-hmm. like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to hear about it. Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is unfair. I think Peggy and Dennis are. Yeah, they, they always get along. <laughs> yeah, I think they get along fine. Um, could try and get her to hire a bodyguard. That's expensive. He could hang Mm -hmm. around her without her knowing, but that's unfair. He was thinking that maybe Dennis could pull the telephone records of, you know, to (laughs) find out who made this like harassing call. And Dennis is like, I can't do that. Uh, Not only has nothing actionable happened, I have to put on my administrator hat. I can't jeopardize the relationship this department has with the phone company. I would love a supercut of every time Dennis has refused to do <laughs> police work for Rockford. Yeah. I think that would just be wonderful. Followed by a supercut of all the times that he does do police yeah, work for Rockford. He just does it. <laughs> uh, we end with a gag where, where Becker has some tortured prose in his mm-hmm. uh, remarks and Jim tells him, no, don't change it. Sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> There is a line in here, uh, I think it's uh, Rockford's line, where he's like, I just wanted an ear. Like you were saying, this is the thing that they all want out of this conversation. They just want someone to listen to what they're saying, and none of them are listening to each other. And I I, I dig it. We go back to Megan with a patient, uh, mm-hmm. Danny. This is Danny Green. We see... Um, hmm. So this sequence, we see her with a couple patients, and we kind mm-hmm. of see her general approach um with danny we see that clearly they've they're kind of going over a lot of stuff that they've been going over for a long time he was like working doing like haircuts but now he's leaving that because as he i think he says like all the like all the all the fey guys relate to women better and they get the better jobs and that leads it into saying like well maybe you need to uh, you, you know, you, we need, we need to, you need to separate your feelings about your absent mother from your feelings towards other women. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to find a job that you enjoy. You need to do something for you. This is one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is important later. Um, or at least this is a relevant piece of dialogue. Right. Upon re- re- revision. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> where when he leaves, he's like, you know, see you next time, Dr. Doherty. And she says, we've known each other for over two years. You can call me Megan. And he says, I'll try. <laughs> He does have this thing in there, which uh, is not relevant and doesn't come up, but he, uh, he's got a line on a job at a racetrack for oh, a bookie yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I bet I'll meet a lot of women there. <laughs> like, what? What's going on? Well, and she calls him on. She's like, what, from behind the, yeah, like from behind the signboard, something like yeah. that. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she then has her next patient, Norman. Yes, Norman, who, who is a a big Nordic fella. <laughs> he's he's uh he's bound he's like a big old bounty, like bounty the quicker picker upper, like he's the <laughs> uh yeah he's lumberjacky. So this is a a pretty intense scene where I think in addition to showing us that Megan is having trouble separating what's mm-hmm. been happening to her from her therapy persona. It's also giving us a little bit of a head fake, like, oh, this is a dangerous guy. Yeah. 
it's it's both like a misdirect, but it relates to the tension that she's experiencing in her life. Right. And it reveals to us that she, despite the fact that she, as a professional, does not want to be doing this. She's committed to her patients. Well, she's committed to her patients, but she's also like she is underneath it all investigating which ones could be responsible. Oh. Right. Like there, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like she doesn't she's not buying her own line. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit paranoid that or not paranoid because somebody yeah. is out to get her. But like, um, yeah, I hadn't seen that read, but I think I see it now that you say it, whether it's kind of intentional or not. It might even yeah. be a little like subconscious because so what happens here? So this so Norman, he's evidently has anger issues. Yeah, he, <laughs> you know, starts right off with like, how are you feeling? I feel like blowing my brains out. OK, he's very confrontational. And she says, uh, why do you have this hostility towards me? And mm-hmm. he says, I don't have any special hostility towards you. Like, this is his normal average baseline hostility. Right. I guess. Yeah. There's nothing special about you. Yeah. I hate everyone. <laughs> yeah. So she goes through an imaging exercise where she says, imagine that you're an animal. Imagine that I'm an, I'm an animal. We're going down the road. What happens? Uh, and I won't go through all the details, but he imagines himself as a wolf and her as a mm-hmm. cat. Mm-hmm. They, they play a game of wolf spell. They, they play a game of wolf spell. <laughs> and it has this kind of visceral edge to it where he's like the cat uh, feels, you know, it looks down on the wolf because the wolf has fleas and, you mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. And uh, the cat wants to kill the wolf. and the But the wolf realizes and, and bites the cat. But the cat has a special stinger. <laughs> Stings the wolf. Right. And while he's telling his imaging story, the camera's mm-hmm. mostly on her, and we're seeing her yeah. reactions, which seem very visceral. Um, yeah. But she's kind of, like, regaining control of herself, but then having another reaction. And says, why would the cat want to kill the wolf? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, a very compelling scene where we're kind of getting drawn into her emotional turmoil. Yeah. Because of the situation she's in, it's hard for her to keep this space like you get the impression that while Norman probably isn't an easy character to deal with, she's adept at dealing with him, except mm-hmm. for the things that are now happening in her life make that more more difficult. He notices that she's having some kind of reaction and like yeah. checks in with her. Yeah. Which I think is what gives me the sense like, oh, this is this isn't that guy. Like this isn't the yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which it is not. Uh, for the record, but yeah. spoiler, spoiler. Um, as she leaves, we see Jim oh, watching her. <laughs> My notes are all like, "You're gonna freak her out, Jim. You're gonna freak her out." <laughs> yeah, he does not. He does not. <laughs> but yeah, he. I guess he goes with the like, "I could watch her myself, but she wouldn't like that." To like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm just gonna do it anyway." Yeah. Um, so he's keeping an eye on her. He sees her go into the elevator. <laughs> we see him go down the stairs, and then he kind of huffs and puffs getting out of the stairs in her building, like racing the elevator to get up there first and kind of holds his breath as she walks by. So she won't notice that he's there, but he watches her go home. Right. So he Mm -hmm. keeps an eye on her to make sure she gets home. Okay. I did have this thought. And now this is, there is no, there's no text here to to say one way or the other. I'm just going to present this to you and our audience. Uh, I do not want to characterize her as having her other senses are super powered because she can't see right. or anything like that. The the there's a little mention of that in this episode, but for the most part, these past two mm-hmm. episodes that we've been watching have been pretty good about not doing that. Right, right, yeah. 
All of that said, and this is maybe reveal something about me more than anything else. I have to think that Jim has like an aftershave. Like I think that <laughs> Jim has a scent, right? I'm just saying that like J- Jim Rockford has to have a distinctive mm-hmm. aroma. I don't, I don't know how else to pleasantly put this. Right, right. And he gets pretty close to her at, at moments during per- this. Perhaps a musk of some kind. A musk, yeah. Some sort of, you know. Not saying a bad smell. No, but like an appealing smell, but a like, discernible yeah. one. Yeah. That like, seems like the kind of guy he is. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kept expecting her to just be like, I know you're there, Jim. Like that, <laughs> that was the thing I kept expecting uh-huh. and it didn't did not occur. It did not happen. I think that is, uh, yeah, I think that is alighted in the in the text here. I think it is not. Sandalwood. Yeah. Right? Sure. Sand- mm-hmm. uh, sound off in the comments. What do you think Jim Rockford smells like? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we see Jim see her go into her apartment and he mm-hmm. leaves. He goes down the elevator. Yes. She goes into her apartment and then takes a step in and immediately stumbles over a chair. And our anxiety music <laughs> rises <Whoa>. as she <laughs> starts bumping into things. Uh, her furniture has been moved. It's been moved to all kinds of different places, mm-hmm. knocked over in weird spots. She's panicked as one would be. We see her fall over her like end table and she's looking, she's sweeping her arms, looking for her phone, mm-hmm. looking for her phone, trying to find her phone. And we end with a shot of her lying over the table crying as the phone is just right next to her on the floor like yeah so close yeah it's uh it's very it's it's scary at the the beginning of the scene i think she she blames her she has like a cleaning like someone who cleans yeah that's that's what i was thinking yeah yeah she's like oh they must have left something in the way yeah and then she takes another step and falls over like an armoire like something that's not supposed to be in the living room so she gets, you know, she gets disoriented and she panics. I think this is also kind of a character thing and also something we see in the movie. Yes, it is natural that she panics in this kind of situation, but I get the sense that she has she has an even stronger re- response than one would expect because she right. spends so much of her life constructing her ability to be independent. Yeah. And then when she is suddenly in surroundings that she doesn't know what they are and is suddenly disoriented, she completely falls apart. Yeah. It's kind of both sides of that coin. Um, she doesn't really have coping mechanisms for like getting around this place, this unfamiliar place, especially when it's her place. Right. Yes. Uh, we do cut from there to Jim in the apartment, helping her straighten up. Um, you know, she's directing him as to where things go and says that uh, he never thought there'd be someone in her apartment. He didn't see anyone while following her. And mm-hmm. she she gives us all an out by saying, I yeah. can't thank you enough for following me. That's just about the nicest thing anyone's done for me. <laughs> so fair enough. But I think it's, you know, it comes from a place of concern and turns yeah. out he should be concerned. This also plays into the professional narrative, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a thing that Jim does professionally mm-hmm. and he did it for free. Like he, he did it with that rather than. Uh, Jim doing the thing that the creepy guy who's following her is doing. Right, right, yeah. Um, They go back and forth about her professional ethics again, uh, revealing her patience. Jim finds a matchbook on the floor with her Mm -hmm. name and address written in it. Such a classic clue. (laughs) It's a classic clue. I think this is a bit, just upon reflection, Mm -hmm. it's it's a bit of like, okay, we need something. Yeah. Um, A bit of a headcanon might be the stalker 
sends someone else to mess up her apartment and so needs to give them the information because why would he write her name right like he knows who she is <laughs> yeah in addition to the address but like whatever it's i guess it doesn't it it, it doesn't matter uh too much it just struck me going through it right now i'm like huh yeah um though on the other other hand as we learned there's an element of wanting to be found yes there there's I don't know if this actually plays into that plot. Right. Yeah. I don't thoroughly know. or not, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, there it is something there. Yeah. Anyway, he says he can take it to a handwriting expert and get a profile. Yeah. Present her with the profile and she will, she tell him if it matches with one of her patients and she's not sure there seems to be an in to trying to get an end run around her ethics with yeah. this, with this thought. She shouldn't feel hungry right now, but she does. She wants to, you know, she, she wants to get something to eat. Jim also wants to get something to eat. Maybe they could get something to eat together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, something simple, hamburgers and hot dogs. <laughs> and so we cut to a sit down restaurant. <laughs> it's clearly not hamburgers and hot dogs. However, he does say you were in the car with me when I circled hamburger Hogan's three times without finding a parking spot. <laughs> now, a couple things. Number one, hamburgers and hot dogs. She's talking Jim's language. Right, right. I don't understand why he doesn't take her up on that. Well, I think this is legit. They tried to get hamburgers at the good hamburger place, and he couldn't find parking. Well, but we have to take Jim's word for that. We don't (laughs) see it, and she doesn't see it. That's true. That's true. There's that. Um, And this plays into that that Jim, the angle here where Jim is is an inexperienced young man trying to like impress like this feels like a joint where you're trying to impress someone on a first date where mm-hmm. you don't know how to impress someone on the first date um and it, it's fun i i'd like that it's having it entangled with the the what's going on in her life right now uh is is a little tough but i think what's happening in the story is that they're just trying to find moments of levity or right, moments right. to release this tension and whatnot and as he says it's not exactly maxine's like it's not yeah you know, yeah a really fancy place and i think that is also coded to us by the the waiter with his extremely jersey accent <laughs> as he offers a wine pairing to uh whatever jim is ordering got a david chase joint here That's it's a very david chase joint in here <laughs> Not for me, thanks. I'll just have a mineral water or something. Oh, I'm sorry, hon. I saw the supply man. He missed his delivery today. We got no carbonated beverages at all. Well, how about some chocolate milk? You know, anything, just so long as we don't have to have a good time while we're here. <laughs> so, Jim, he does have a, uh, a a point he comes back to, which is like, how about we just have a bad time? Yeah. Like, you don't need to keep making this a bad time, except that you want to. Yeah. This scene goes through a bunch of time jump cuts uh we have just the diegetic <laughs> music like whatever music they're playing at the restaurant there's still no score coming up so that leaves by the end of the scene because they end up shutting down the restaurant yeah <laughs> so we go to jim he has a bottle of wine all to himself they she eventually allows him to pour her a glass but she says she's going to pick up the tab and jim's like how about we wrestle for it best two out of three falls <laughs> um there's a moment where the waiter asks Jim if Megan wants like Parmesan cheese. He's like, well, <laughs> you ask her yourself. And we get the uh, good, uh, you know, character line being blind has nothing to do with making decisions or liking cheese. And no, yeah. I don't want any. <laughs> they, they also have some kind of banter about like shooting him down and he's still sore about that, but they kind of seem to work through that with the aid of these bottles of wine. 
Um, they're they're putting the the chairs on the other tables as she starts telling him about her <laughs> psycho imagination technique. Yes, and we have some flirty banter going through this sequence. Jim says his trouble is he has nothing to hide. Why don't we do one <laughs> just just to fill time? Ask him to imagine a can, and they go through a whole <laughs> thing. What's in the can? You know, where is it, etc. And he ends up just like a normal can. It's just a can of, I don't know, vegetables, peas, just like the expression. Let's not open that can of peas. <laughs> Which, is that an expression? <laughs> yeah, I don't. What can of peas don't you want to open, and what's it got to do with me? You'll have to come and get me, Warden. You'll never take me alive. <laughs> so flirty, flirty banter, really getting more levity, and also seeing there that they do have attraction. They do have chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. They head back to her apartment. They're arm in arm. And she kind of starts bringing us back to reality, saying she had a great time on what should be the worst night of her life. Mm -hmm. She literally says back to the grim reality and gives Jim her keys to go in first. Yeah, there's nothing amiss. Um, I will say I was expecting Jim to get cold cocked in this (laughs) this moment, but that's just Jim going through doors. Right. Anytime. Anytime it could be. (laughs) Anytime. I guess I didn't anticipate anything because we didn't have the anxiety music. (laughs) That's true. Yes. They do tend to telegraph with this one to good effect. She has kind of a moment when she goes into the kitchen to make coffee. Jim goes to her side. Uh, It's taken her years to get to the place where she can live independently. And now it's all shot. You know, she can't trust her surroundings, right? Mm -hmm. Jim says it's just temporary. You're going to be back to normal. Through this and through the whole evening and everything, she finally has come around to saying, let's try the thing with the handwriting. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll allow that to happen. Jim doesn't want her to be alone while he's on the case, so he's going to get her a bodyguard. And she says, oh, what, some meatloaf and a double-breasted suit? (laughs) Jim says that the guy he has in mind isn't like that. He's uh, very discreet. And that's a stereotype about the double-breasted suits. <laughs> Megan then bumps into Jim by accident. And then he's like, you don't make mistakes like that. Mm-hmm. There's a romantic swell of music as they do embrace and then go in for a big old smooch. Uh, I think they have a couple you know, more flirty lines in there. And then she mm-hmm. lets Jim take off her glasses, which she has been wearing the whole episode before going in for more uh more smooshy smooches more, more smooshy smooches there are some full-on yeah let's watch these people kiss kisses <laughs> and well deserved i say mm. cut to a meatball in a double-breasted suit <laughs> <laughs> here we go oh man so before going into this i don't know i guess you know this is all telegraphed a little bit and it does seem inevitable especially since we know they get together from this other episode. But uh, yeah, I felt like this made sense with what we know of them so far. Yeah. Yeah. It it worked. And um, uh, there's a bit in this about the professionalism again, that more than anything else, I think is, is the textual barrier that they're trying to present here. Mm -hmm. She would not date a client. So she would not, expect jim to date a client or like you know what i mean like there's there's uh mm-hmm. i guess i'm I'm like leaning on that rather than the she's in a vulnerable situation like the reason why she would not date a client is because that a, a client is vulnerable and in a you know a horrible situation yeah uh, is the the power dynamic is not yeah. appropriate yeah and i would say that the the power dynamic here probably isn't great either but that's mm. Not what the story is about, so <laughs> I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah, 
I think Jim is perfectly happy to be like, let's see where this goes. Right. Right. I think what we're shown is that she's, it's not that she's letting her guard down, but it's that she is in allowing herself to have a good time. She's, she's allowing herself to, to, to feel this attraction. Right. Yeah. Where before she was just like, I'm not going to even bother. Like I'm going to actively work against being attracted to this man. Cause I just don't want to mm-hmm. bother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's an element of like, Oh, your true feelings are coming out, but I think it's more a function of her, you know, feeling more comfortable and feeling less vulnerable. Right. Like she doesn't right. need to have her guard up as yeah. much. I don't know if we're talking too much about this because it's kind of like it's kind of a trope that seems like it could be troubling, but it doesn't trouble me. Right, right. With, with how our characters have been given to us in this episode. And like we, the actors have great chemistry in this. Like it, it's from the football. Right. You knew this was going to happen. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, just, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. There, there's no tension in whether or not this is this is going mm-hmm. to happen. Uh, there's just there's a bit of like, OK, finally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so we go to, uh, Charlie, poor Charlie. What's his last name? Martel. Martel. Poor Charlie Martel. So he's our meatball yeah. in a double breasted suit. He is speeding to get Megan to her first appointment. The thing is, see, when I saw Eddie come on during a TV commercial last night saying they had a special on double breasted suits, I just had to get down there and pick up on the sale. They're all I wear. You can't find them in my size like I used to. How come that is, I wonder? <laughs> we've actually seen charlie before yeah this is though this is his first appearance we saw his second appearance which was in um it was in lions tigers monkeys uh, and dogs because yeah because he gets uh taken down by the 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 garment mob yeah the garment union guy yeah yeah so in that episode they do a callback to this episode yes. so we already know that he's going to end up in the hospital um <laughs> but this is um Leo Gordon, who was uh, Garner's co-star in Maverick, mm-hmm. is the the actor. So it's a bit of a for the real Garner heads. Um, it's a fun uh, uh, throwback. He was in the first episode of season five, which of of the Rockford Files, as a different character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we've done this one. Heartaches of fool. Heartaches of a fool. I don't think we've done that one. No. no. So I guess we have to finish out his. Uh... Yeah. Um, but. Uh, honestly, like the moment when she, I didn't, I did not pay attention to IMDb closely enough to know that he was in this episode. But uh, when when she mentions the meatloaf in the double-breasted suit, and I think to myself, well, I I remember Jim hiring one bodyguard once, <laughs> and this <laughs> describes him, and yep. then boom, there boom, he is. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> He he's a little nervous working with the psychologist, but she says, don't worry. I don't you know, my meter's off. Right. I don't do that for free, <laughs> which, again, is great. And he has a terrible just just the worst joke joke. Oh, yeah. At the Ugh. end. I bet I know who your favorite musician is. Stevie Wonder. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this show is the Charlie, the character of Charlie, which is that yeah. he's he's dense. He's 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 not all there. Reliable guy, though. We now have kind of an extended scene here with Jim's handwriting expert buddy, (laughs) who is an old pal from San Quentin. And this is one of those memorable side characters that (laughs) will never come come up again, but is fantastic. Okay, to preface it, everything that this guy's an expert in is 
BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. none of this is is real. And uh, oh yeah, he's only he's only been in one episode. I mean, I've seen him in a thousand things. Yeah, he's been he's one of those guys who's all over the place. He was in Mash. Oh right, yes, he was the 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 CIA guy, right? Isn't it the? I'm not familiar enough with Mash to tell you. Yeah, Sidney Friedman. Yeah, but um, yeah, he's been in a lot of things. Great actor. Uh, this whole sequence where they uh, are doing the whole like, nope, they're dead. Nope, they're you know like the old friends are are missing. I saw Tommy Marquette's sister at the mall a couple of weeks ago. Matter of fact. Good old Marchetti. I tell you, that guy could make me laugh just walking into a room. How's he doing? He's dead. Hot. 44 years old. Can you believe it? Live for today, I say. Oh, boy. Angel's really going to be upset to hear that. I mean, he's crazy about Marchetti. <laughs> he should worry. He's still alive. Just goes to prove my point. What point? Only the good die young. Catch as catch can, I say. So handwriting analysis as a discipline is is yeah. nothing. It's there's no science behind it. It's not really a thing. Um but you know as a storytelling crutch sure fine. Um and really here it's not like it leads to anything in particular. Yeah. It, it's one of the the many little chipping away of the armor she has around suspecting yeah, yeah. her own uh clients. But yeah, it's great he starts off with even even within that context. This is Michigan to work with. Yes. <laughs> like he just has this tiny little sample and everything. But so he has to do all the things to, to like blow it up so he can see it bigger and everything. So they're having their conversation during it, <laughs> recalling good times. And then everyone's yeah dead or sick. <laughs> and he says like 30 times, I can't stand behind this. Right. Like, right. You have to sign a release to that effect. I cannot be held responsible, you know, because there's not enough, et cetera. It's a fun scene. It's a good tone shift gives us a little yeah. lightness and otherwise a pretty dark episode and also is a benefit of the two-parter structure because like we get an extended right. period here like this story in a single episode would have been a lot of the stuff would have just been compressed out like just wouldn't have time to be in it but i enjoyed this scene quite a lot and i think there's a a, a joke here I'm going to read it as a joke because he spends his whole time saying you can't, you know, this isn't enough material. I can't stand by this or anything like that. And then that. he has like a whole soliloquy. At yeah. The end. Yeah. 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 Like the most detailed character analysis you can imagine. And he's dead, dead to rights. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, like when we get into it later, he's, he's, he nailed it. But like, it, it just feels like a, a, a Rockford style joke. Yeah. For the wrong reasons. He's right, but not yeah. for but for the wrong, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So he has a whole talk through a strong personality. I would say in general we're talking about a very defensive person here. Smart. Feels the world owes him a living, maybe. Some deep emotional scars and conflicts. He could lie like a rug, this one, then go off jaunty jolly. He could do anything. He has little love for his fellow man, i.e. the rest of us. How he got this way, I don't know, and I could care less. He's very intelligent, though. Very intelligent. This and his lack of remorse, I would say he'd make a great con man. Or worse. (laughs) We cut from there to our anxiety music as Charlie is coming into Megan's office. And we Mm. see her patient, Danny Green. Yes. Leaning a coat rack against her door with, like, the heavy end up so it'll fall in. 
Relax, creepo. This will go as smooth as banana daiquiris. (laughs) But Danny pulls a knife on him. And then we cut inside where Megan's, you know, bidding farewell to a patient. And the patient asks her, you know, how are you doing? To be honest, I haven't had one of my best weeks. Her patient says, uh, well, what what do you do when you feel depressed like I do? Who do you talk to? Which is, you know, <laughs> cutting right to the core, right, yeah. of her, uh, her, her issues. Who watches the watchman? Who shrinks the shrink? We see her hear something. Mm-hmm. And then she opens her door and the coat rack falls in, barely misses her. Yeah. And she reaches out yelling, Mr. Martell. And then there's like a beat and she's like, oh, no, we don't see anything. We just see her reaching out and not knowing what's happening. Right. This is the end of the first syndicated (laughs) episode we cut to to be continued. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack and talk about the other places that you can find us on the Internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get Maximum Epi? You can find uh, me at my website, digathousandholes.com. That's dig1000holes.com. Or you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. If you want to engage with me on the social medias, the best place to go right now is Mastodon at Epidia at Dice.Camp. Nathan, if they want to get Maximum Nathan, where do they have to go for that? I should have gone Maximum Nathan. Maximum Nathan can be found at my website, ndpdesign.com. That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role-playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, So if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives Mm -hmm. or zines about pro wrestling, (laughs) among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still... um, Posting on Instagram at Andy Paoletta. That's where I'm posting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can also find me at cohost, cohost.org slash NDP. That is a fun, small scale social media site that I'm enjoying quite a lot. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. I wasn't watching the clock, so when it happened, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> God, I love Charlie. <laughs> Smooth as b- banana daiquiris. <laughs> The, the best part of this, in context with the other episode with Charlie in it, is the, just the build-up and then nothing. <laughs> just both mm-hmm. times. He's just like, like I'm, I'm going to get myself a bodyguard. Or I'm going to get you a bodyguard. Here's this big guy. And, and he just... Boom. Can't do yeah, it. The, he's just sucker-punched or whatever. Yeah. He just like is, is out. Like, yeah, it's good stuff. And I definitely have the sense of like, okay, now we're really now the 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 plot's kicking in, right? Yes. Like we've had all this, we've had this nice luxurious time to see all this character stuff, get all this background, see character development. We're invested. We're we're ready to see where this goes. Now it's going to start. Yes, <laughs> which which is nice, which is a good feeling. We know the guilty party. Like there's no question. I, like I think when Charlie came upon him. I did have this one moment of going like, is this a mistaken? Yeah. How are they going to explain this behavior? Yeah. Uh, But not anymore. So we come back in our second episode or back from our commercial break. Rockford, Jake at the sand pebble. Sorry, old buddy, but there have been gunshots around your place once too often. 
The neighborhood association wants to have a talk with you. <laughs> to an ambulance coming into a hospital, and we go to Jim and Megan waiting, waiting to hear something. Um, they're sharing a cigarette, and I just mentioned it because up till now there's been a bit of business about like he occasionally has a offers her a cigarette, but she's mm-hmm. quit she quit smoking, and so now they're sharing one, and it's a, you know sign of her agitation, anxiety, etc. However, just the entire thing of smoking in a hospital, I'm just like, yeah. wow, that is. <laughs> A moment in time, huh? So we learned that Charlie was cut up pretty bad, and mm-hmm. he's like, "It's not your fault." He's a he's a pro, mm-hmm. right? He took the risk. He knew the he knew what could happen. It's not the first time he's been cut up, right? And it won't be <laughs> the last. Well, Lieutenant Becker and mm-hmm. Officer Billings, yay, yay! They arrive. Um, they're hoping Charlie could identify the attacker, but it looks like he's going to be out for a while. There's kind of a formal, like, well, we're involved now. Like, mm-hmm. so Becker asks Megan about her patients and her patient files. She can't give up confidentiality. Jim backs her up, and Becker's like, hey, you've been carping at me about her attitude for two days. <laughs> and Jim says, well, if you want to carp at me, I'll understand. <laughs> it's, good. it's a good exchange. Jim runs the handwriting thing past everyone to be like, what about this? Mm-hmm. If she identifies the profile as one of her patients, then we can look into the patient, whatever. Becker doesn't like it because it's, like, going to take too much time, and he wants to go buy the book, and buy the book would be like, let mm-hmm. me see all of your files. And then Billings steps in. I think, I think this is the most dialogue we've ever gotten from him. This is, I think, the premier Billings episode. This is, just like... <laughs> An unexpected pleasure. Yeah. Look at it this way, Lieutenant. It's only a day, and maybe it'll never come up. Maybe Martel will regain consciousness and describe this fellow to Dr. Doherty here, and that's it. We go and throw the cuffs on him. Sure, we could get lucky with Martel. Uh, fellas, I, if Charlie makes it, that's great, you know, but uh, he will not be identifying anyone for Dr. Doherty. <clears throat> uh, yes, uh, we were thinking, you know, sometimes it kind of... It's all right. Believe me, it happens all the time. Another one of those little moments. So these are, I mean, I guess these are these are microaggressions, right? Like, yeah. Here's here's a thing that we just say in day to day life, not thinking about how it is. It is an ableist thing because it does not apply to everyone because not everyone is cited. Just call that out specifically as maybe how we would, yeah, <laughs> talk about that now. But we also see that she has a whole mechanism for being like, yeah, dealing with it, yeah. I, I know how people are. I've lived in this world. There's there's a great bit as Dennis and Billings are leaving where Dennis is just tearing into Billings about it, like quietly under his breath. We we, we end here with saying with Becker saying that Jimbo has one day. Mm-hmm. Megan thanks Jim for helping her out of the toughest spot she's ever been in. And he says he says something he quotes something and says it's you know, Henry Clay, the great compromiser. And this is good. You don't compromise, you make deals. You don't compromise anything. Yeah. In the parking garage, she's clearly still not doing too well. It's tired, sad, but also just having a bit of a, I don't know, pining a little bit. He asks her and she's like, okay, it's stupid. But she had a convertible in college. And when things got too stressful, she'd gun it down the highway, wind in her hair, feeling life at its fullest. (laughs) (laughs) And we cut to Jim gunning a convertible down the highway, top down. Your cousin would die if he knew you were doing this in his car. So apparently Jim has a cousin with a convertible. Let's talk continuity. <laughs> <laughs> that, I got no problem with continuity. 
But uh, yeah, this is the first we've heard of the cousin that I right. know of. Yeah, I think so. With the convertible. Though I think he's gotten a phone. I think there's been a phone message. Oh, there could have been, yeah. From a cousin at some point. I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't believe Jim has cousins. Uh, but the other bit that we learn about, I don't think in the timeline presented in the movie, she could see when she was in college. Right, yeah. I think so. It's not given specificity in this episode. Yeah. Obviously, this implies that she did not lose her sight until after she had a convertible in college, right? Yeah. Um, but whatever. <laughs> they, they never say exactly when or exactly why. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, you know, lost her sight. Uh, I guess here is the first time we get the indication that she wasn't born without sight. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, in the movie, they give there's a as as discussed, there's a much more <laughs> detailed timeline that doesn't really actually match up with how old she is in these episodes and stuff. Yeah, like, whatever. It's not a. This is all stuff that isn't really that important. It'll be resolved in the uh, Rockford multiverse right, crossover right. movie that that we're all dying for. Mm-hmm. That will that will. <laughs> absolutely have the rockford lou grant team up that i have been desiring uh all this year all right sorry go on <laughs> um finally stop uh you know they, they pull over somewhere this is night this is all happening at night so it's you know the night shots night scenes he asks if that was close to the original and she says is i think she says like it was better or something she gives him a big hug this has really touched her this is really yeah. you know meant something that he went to this effort and did this for her Jim proposes getting dinner before they get back to work, but we can just do this for a while. <laughs> yes. And we have a bit of, and we have a romantic sting in the uh, mm -hmm. romantic swell in the soundtrack and pull away shot from the car. And we just leave them in their embrace in the front of this convertible. And then we do get a good traditional Rockford Files harmonica sting. Yeah. As we cut to Rocky watching <laughs> Megan put on chapstick in the trailer. And he's telling her about what a good living Jimmy makes being a PI. <laughs> Is it Rocky? <laughs> Rocky has an angle. It's very clear. Oh, you mean the part where he says, I do wish you would have some kids. I wouldn't yes. mind being a grandfather. <laughs> very subtle. Right at it. He asks her what she wants to do. She says, oh, I thought, you know, Jimmy said you were going fishing. And I like at this point, she's calling him Jimmy. Which is, yeah. which is nice. You're going fishing. It's like, oh, I go fishing all the time. Well, there's a big fishing championship on the pier that you were <laughs> looking forward to. Oh, I win that all the time. Every year. <laughs> I've won that so many times it's getting boring to me. <laughs> same old talk, same old fish. But Megan's like, okay, I'll be okay by myself. She's like, you don't mm -hmm. need to stay here and babysit me. Right. Yeah. Th there's another little moment where he's like, I showed you around. And she's like, well, mm -hmm. I didn't. It's like, well, you didn't show me anything, right? Something like that. She she kind of gives him a little bit. She she rags on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, okay. You have the same sense of humor as Jimmy. Peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to a completely new character. <laughs> we, we quickly find out what's going on. I just want to point out that this scene has been probably around 48 hours since I've seen this scene. And like three times this scene has popped into my head and I'm like, where is that from? What is <laughs> like, I'm trying to remember where I remember the guy describing the frog man you get <laughs> in the cereal box. <laughs> it's, it's from this episode. I don't know why that this scene just stuck in my skull. But anyways, go on. Yeah. So it's a, a voice actor doing a commercial for kids cereal and uh, he's having trouble with motivation. Yeah. <laughs> so this is another scene that benefits from having time because it mm -hmm. is fun and funny and a nice break. 
and would definitely be cut down to like three lines if this was <laughs> a full, uh, uh, if this was a standard episode. Yeah. Do we need that demolition with nature's children? I'm having trouble making the transition. I can't find a motivation. How's the 250 for the day for motivation, huh? Now, can we go, please? Roll tape. Hi, I'm Sammy Seal, and you kids are gonna flip when you see the neat demolition frogman offer inside each family-sized box of nature's children whole wheat and grain cereal. Yeah. <laughs> we see Jim come into the like the recording booth and say something to the director, and then he breaks in again. He's like, apparently we have a steward from the Actors Guild here who's coming <laughs> in on an unannounced spot check. We've broken to lunchtime, so we're facing a penalty. Are you really <laughs> going to hold us to that? And Jim like, gives him a look. He's like, all right, lunch, we'll get, ba- get back at one. They leave. The actor comes out of the booth. He's like, thanks so much. I've never heard of these spot checks, but, you know, I really appreciate it. I got to go call my agent. He has this other thing, blah, blah, blah. And Jim immediately goes like, oh, I'm not from the guild. Uh, I just, that was just my little joke, but I have a deal for you to buy my silence. <laughs> so this is one of those, uh, in, in plus expense, or no, earlier we are you're talking yeah. about just uh, Jim throwing out Maybe, was that in plus expenses? Yeah, in our <laughs> plus expenses. I remember bringing this up because this is this is uh, a way that Jim will work a person. He comes at this guy as if he's going to shake him down because he's trying to see how he's going to react to the shakedown mm-hmm. to determine if this guy is involved in any way, right? right? Like he's he just knows he was could have been in the building at the time or near the building. Yeah, he says like I you know I was at a dentist appointment across the hall and I saw you run out of the run out mm-hmm. of the dr doherty's place right when that stabbing happened yeah and the guy's like i don't know anything about that he's like ah but you do know about the stabbing um (laughs) how about 50 bucks how about 40 bucks just 40 bucks and i won't tell the cops and this guy i guess roger is the guy's name roger's like i wasn't there i'm not giving you anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) this has nothing to do with me he was downstairs at the cafe eating lunch he is one of the patients so i had an appointment at two I was downstairs at the cafe. That happened at one. And the waitress will remember me because I I made a joke to her and she laughed about another guy I saw there. A guy that I know is like, oh, what guy? Oh, one of the other patients. He says he's a guy who couldn't cut it in group and he's in private therapy now. His name is. uh, And we cut from there to Megan (laughs) on the phone saying Danny Green. (laughs) Boy, that just doesn't fit. We we can imagine how Jim decided found slash decided to talk to this guy, but you know mm-hmm. maybe he just tried this on all of the patients that were there that day, and this is the one that gave him something. Who knows? Yeah, I have to assume that Megan doesn't know that he's doing using right. this tactic on her patients uh, because I there's no way this is approved. The the other little thread that I can think of is like because we don't actually talk about the personality profile from the handwriting sample. Yeah, but like. Did he give it to her? And she's like, oh, well, this is the only one of my patients I would describe that way. And it's this guy, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Roger. Poor Roger. But this is, uh, again, this is another great, like, like you said, this is just like, yeah, we got a character. We're going to let you enjoy a character for a bit. Mm. It runs the story along. It moves everything forward. But like, uh, enjoy Roger and Roger's situation (laughs) because it feels real. And it's just there. All right. But yeah, it says Danny Green does doesn't fit the profile. He's chronically depressed. He's unemployed. He has issues relating to women. Mm -hmm. But Jim says, well, he wasn't there. His appointments at like three on Wednesdays or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that wasn't anywhere near his appointment time. What was he doing in the building? 
Uh, she's, she's resistant to this idea. I just couldn't have assessed Danny so wrong after a year and a half of therapy. Well, maybe you did. It's okay. You're allowed three mistakes in any one career. Uh-oh. I guess we just hit on the one subject that isn't funny. But they can get Danny's address from his checks because he pays by check. So Jim checks it out, and it's a nice apartment building. Mm -hmm. He knocks on the door to the condo that this guy lives in, and the door is not locked. It opens. And my first note is like, huh, this is a nice apartment for a chronically unemployed guy. Yeah. So that moment, I'm like, okay, so it is Danny Green. Like, I think there mm -hmm. was still a little bit like... Right. Maybe this is like a like storytelling wise, like maybe this is a head fake and there's some other reason that Danny yeah. Green was being violent. But there's some other character I'm like, no, no. Once we see that this does not match with his persona as presented, I was like, OK, this is our this is our guy. It, it's also telling that his stereo is tuned to the WAM channel. <laughs> Jim comes in, sees mail on the counter, checks it. The mail is all addressed to a Jack Tutesca. Mm -hmm. um, I write his name down in different ways because his credit is for Danny Green. So I'm like, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could have I could be mis mispronouncing it, but I think it's Tutesca. I think that's how I ended up writing it. And then we see I'm going to keep calling him Danny because that's kind of how mm -hmm. we we know him. Yeah. That's easier to say. We see Danny appear in the doorway behind Jim you know, and surprise him. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I knocked on the door, just swung in. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm from the IRS. I'm looking for Danny Green. <laughs> I have this address in our computer. He's like, there's no one here by that name. Well, there's actually a, a mistake in his favor. We owe we owe him money. We just need him <laughs> to answer a couple questions. Well, I've lived here for two years by myself. There's no one here by that name. No one in the building. And he's like getting closer and closer to Jim and kind of backing him out the door. Yeah. Um, in a very kind of threatening manner. And so Jim kind of allows himself to be pushed out while assessing that, yeah, this guy is not going to be like, oh, Danny Green. OK, you won't. If he's getting money, then I'll talk. Right. Like, that's right. not going to work here. We go back to Jim's trailer where Megan is saying that that does not sound like the Danny Green she knows. Not at all. And then a wild angel appears when Jim's like, <laughs> hey, you ready to earn your 20 bucks? But he wants to talk to Jim privately. This is a good little, I don't know, angel moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, I think it it has a, a thematic setup for something. It, this mm -hmm. isn't like uh, in other detective shows. There might be this moment where he's like, "Oh, but this this didn't happen here." But this will echo a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And also, I feel like there's actually a moment. There's a bit in the movie that I think calls back to this a little bit. E yeah. So Angel's like, okay. What's your angle? You can drop the act. I can see that she's just pretending to be blind for like yes. some con you're doing. So what is it? Was she front phony charity? Uh, I goes around all these big corporations and you come along as the packager of the telethon. I love it. Love it. Let me in on it, Jimmy. I could be the research doctor. I'll take a painless 2%. You will get in for what I give you. Get in there. <laughs> So Angel's calling Green. Megan and Jim are listening in on the other two lines. This is actually the staging here is important because Megan yeah. listens in on the <laughs> although Jim has at least three telephones. So the kitchenette line or whatever. Yeah. Angel's calling from his desk phone. Megan's mm -hmm. listening from the kitchen phone and Jim's in his bedroom on the bedroom phone. <laughs> so he can't see Angel because while Angel is calling, he's taking Megan's purse and then waving it around to see if she'll react and yeah. starts taking money out of her wallet once he's <laughs> like okay she's not gonna crack she's not gonna break which is extremely angel so uh 
he's he does he 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 has a bit where he's like I'm the condo association accountant and your accounts in arrears uh to Tesca. It's like what are you talking about? I pay that's the first bill I pay every month and and furthermore, blah 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 blah. And yeah. so the whole point here is so that Megan can hear her voice hear his voice. Yeah. Rocky comes in and sees Angel holding the bills. So Angel <laughs> kind of like winks at him and puts them back in her wallet. Like <laughs> it's so bad. Angel. Angel. But yeah, sure enough, it's him. It's Danny Green. And if this is right, then it's a major error in her diagnosis. And he has two distinct personalities in one body. This is a mm-hmm. very serious split personality psychological condition jim says well you're not gonna like this but <laughs> the condo he lives in is good for a grand a month so i ran him and his name was familiar jack Tutesca. and angel goes jackie Tutesca? i know him and <laughs> Jim's like, shut up shut up shut up turns out he's a gangland assassin then there's mm-hmm. a whole there's a recent hit where this guy this lawyer got killed and his girlfriend could potentially testify but she's disappeared and so she's in hiding and he he's uh, been walking around free and then he's gonna like ask angel something and he looks back and angel is gone yeah (laughs) he's heard that name he's out of here without getting his 20 bucks even which is how you know it's serious yeah so now we're 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 hitting all the highs here uh we've we've got the 70s zeitgeist of the multiple personality disorder Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll really hit that in, in just a moment here but we also have like a highly paid or uh, I guess not highly paid, but like a like a highly regarded mob assassin. I mean, probably highly paid. Yeah. Prob- oh, yeah. Yeah. A thousand dollars. That's a five thousand dollar adjusted for inflation. He's mm-hmm. paying five thousand dollars a month for his condo. So, um, yeah, I, what I'm just saying here is that. We're, yeah, this is a two parter. This is <laughs> right. Where the, the plot is continuing to thicken. We throw all the juicy stuff into the two parter here. So we're downtown. Or we're meeting a police psychologist who's going to sit in on this questioning session of, of Danny, of mm-hmm. Tesca. This guy, I was like, oh, I know this guy. He was in another Rockford Files, The Big Cheese, which I don't really remember who he was in that. The actor's name is Alan Manson. But he he's in a Columbo that I recently rewatched. Um, ah. It's the first William Shatner one. Oh. Where he's an actor. Um, he played this guy. Uh, Alan Manson plays the studio head Sid Daly. I just remember that name for whatever reason, and has very specific affect to him. So I was like, "This guy, where do I know this guy from?" So I had to do the digging. Anyway, that's uh, my Columbo connection for this episode. The Columbo connection. Mm-hmm. A uh, good episode of Columbo, I'd say. Even uh, grading on the Shatner curve for <laughs> for uh, you know how well you like him and other things, but uh, I think it's pretty good. Anyhow. So the three of them, Jim, Megan, and this police psychologist, meet in Becker's office to talk mm-hmm. to Danny slash Chitesca and his lawyer. We start right off with him asking if he's under arrest. Well, no, you're not. It's like, then what am I doing here? Yeah. Megan asks if he recognizes her. I met you through Danny Green. It's like, I don't know anyone named Danny Green. So he's very spiky and combative, but he is not quite just storming out. Yeah. Becker asks him where he was during the stabbing. Of of Charlie. And he has the whole thing about, I was eating a lunch. Peaches mm-hmm. and cottage cheese. And then I took a nap. <laughs> and Megan asked him where he woke up. He's like, in the park where I fell asleep. Are you sure? You didn't wake up somewhere else? And he starts to seem nervous and agitated. He gets up to go. Becker says, well, we're going to find the girl who's going to put you at the shooting of the, you know, the lawyer or whatever. The thing that he's still mm-hmm. under suspicion of. 
He says, well, you find the girl, then you call me back, but you still don't have anything on me. Megan asks him some more questions before he leaves about some other names, maybe some kid, a kid he would know growing up in New York, a kid he would know through Danny Green. And he goes off on a rant slash, I don't know, soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) About, I know what you're all thinking, but I don't have a brain tumor. (laughs) <laughs> sure, I black out sometimes, but it's just my diet. It's uh, it's uh, it's nutrition. That's all. It's just it's 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 my diet. But uh, I do not have a brain tumor, and I am not a mental. I may be a lot of things, but I am not crazy. I know what you're trying to do. You're you're, you're trying to uh, discredit me with my business contacts. You're trying to make my associates think that I'm sick, that I've lost my mind. But it won't work because I am sane. You better believe I am sane. And then he's like, I don't have to put up with this. And he leaves. The end of our scene is our police psychologist and Megan agreeing. Seems like a true case of multiple personalities. Uh, Highly unusual, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, seems very serious. Uh, Jim asks Becker if the FBI really does have a line on this witness. And Becker says, yeah, they, they say they should have her in two or three days. And then he acknowledges that two or three days might be a long time <laughs> yeah. because they don't have any reason to hold to Tesca. They, there's no proof of anything, etc. Maybe this is a good time just to mention um, Danny Green slash uh, John Tatesca is played by John Plachette. And we yes. saw him in another Rockford Files episode where he is Jay Rockfelt. In, um, uh, I believe that's Dwarf with a Helium Hat. Yes. I don't even know why I didn't look this up. Because when I first saw him, I was like, this guy is so familiar to me. Uh, but also, like, sometimes you're like, they're so familiar. But, like, you remember when they were younger or, you know, like, when mm-hmm. they're older or anything like that. And I was like, no, like, Kim. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, in that moment in time. Visually, he's the same guy. It's one year yeah. apart. Yeah. That's the one where he's, yeah, where Jim is subject to threats because his name is one his name is next to to rock Feltz in the phone book. yes so he yes. gets drawn into this whole thing and <laughs> this one with rick springfield as the the rock star yes yeah yeah it was definitely a fun one to talk about i don't recall exactly what the plot was but uh, <laughs> it, it was weird yeah. like i remember there was that party where you like the winners of the party yeah we're going to like paris or something yeah and, Rockfelt was the the character. Anyway, um, so this is a very different character, obviously, which I bring up because I think it's a uh, this is this is a guy with range because <laughs> this is a very convincing character. Yeah, he is, and I, I'm just looking at his IMDb. The very next year, he he directs Rocky Two. <laughs> <laughs> So he's uh, he's got talents. Lots of talents, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't look him up. Uh, but hey, you know, sometimes you save that for the episode. <laughs> so we get to a big, a big turning point in our story here where Jim is at Megan's. She's he's watching the game while she's cooking. She nicks her finger, which motivates Jim to come ask if she needs help. Yeah. She says, you know, get that wine out of the fridge. Um, she's clearly in no mood for, for banter. Jim has a line. Should I go get boxing gloves now? Or you just want to punch the heavy bag for a while? <laughs> He's been thinking, what if the multiple personality thing is an act? Mm-hmm. Suppose you're a top flight, intelligent, professional killer. You're smart enough to know that you can't be perfect and someday there will be some mistake, there'll be some evidence and to get you. What's a fallback cop out? Mm-hmm. Not guilty by reason of insanity. Megan's like, "What are you talking about?" 
<laughs> but yeah, he lays out this whole thing. Um, you set up a whole life for this other guy. You start seeing a shrink. 50 bucks a week is good insurance for this, mm-hmm. you know, happening someday. You make fine, you know, you make good money. And then if you're facing a dead to rights charge, like there's a witness who can place you at the scene watching you murder murder someone you're definitely going to jail well you bring it to the attention of the cops mm-hmm. you know subtly so that they discover that you have have these multiple personalities and then instead of going to jail for life you he says like you you go to the lollipop factory or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah all right so this is the this is angel theory right like this <laughs> this is the same thing the theory the, the angel was just doing uh oh saying like megan is like you know drop the act yeah she's yeah, a con right and so okay there's a couple things about this that i like and a couple things about this that i'm like oh okay mm-hmm. one thing that i like is that we're no longer doing the cessational multiple personality story like the, i like that too Mm-hmm. You know, like let's let's step away from, yeah, the, you know, let's step away from that. Yeah, the 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 TV and movies. I have split personalities, so yeah. one person's this way and the other person's that way, Jekyll and Hyde style, like yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, just a, a complete like fabrication of it. Like we're just we're just imagining what it might be, but instead they go with this, and there's some great moments when he's at the police station that we just saw where he does the things that we now know cons do. Mm-hmm. He almost leaves. Y- yeah. He, yeah. And he's like, no, you don't want this money. No, it's good. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's doing the thing where he's trying to make them come to him. Right. You know, like I'm not insane, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> All of that is, is good. Uh, I like that this angle is going this way. And I really like that. Again, this fits into that gym thing where one of the, what he brings to uh, the genre of murder mystery is that he's a con. Uh, he's a you know a con artist uh, has a history of being a con artist, or you know, and so he can look at things and be like, oh, this is a con. Some some really interesting things. That, um we got the matchbook, right? Maybe mm-hmm. the matchbook was a plant. Right, that makes sense, right? You would want them to know. You'd want them to start thinking about you having a different set of traits of yeah. personality traits. Yeah. And, and one of the things that would make that work is if your Danny green character, uh, wrote down the name and phone number and then your Jack Tutesca uh, character found it and went to confront that person or something. Sure, so sure. like maybe that's the, nothing in our text brings us to that point, but mm-hmm. like, that's a possibility. Um, leaving his door open. The, leaving his door open, maybe. Uh, the bit that doesn't fit, though, is where were you during the stabbing? Oh, I just took a nap. Like, implying that this was one of my blackouts that I yeah. did. But he's the character of the assassin, not the character of the troubled young man mm-hmm. while he's telling them he took the nap. Like, the theory would be that the troubled young man falls asleep and the assassin comes out and does the stabbing. Mm-hmm. But while he He's at the police station. He's like he he's presenting the character of the assassin. He doesn't remember. Oh, sure, sure. I see. He's the the logic here is that Danny Green, the troubled young man, is the yeah. one who decided who took it upon himself to stalk and harass. Well, I think, but that's like now as a psychologist, she gets to explain it, right? She's like, well, yeah, his true nature is the assassin. So his character, his Danny Green character, still has the impulses. He's you know, the impulses and urges are being realized through the yeah. pathetic character, but that has nothing to do with his work. So he's blacking out 
or whatever. I think like a con, once you really start digging into yeah, it, exactly. some stuff doesn't quite add up, right? Yeah. I mean, like, that's the part of it that I like. I like it just mm. being... It feels juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, emotionally here with our characters, what's happening is Megan saying, like, wait a second. You are the one who got me to come mm-hmm. around on the multiple personality theory. And now that <laughs> I've agreed, yes, I think me and another qualified psychologist both agree that that's what we saw. Now you're saying that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so this is where Jim's like, look, it's a con. And he, I love, this is just like straight up the text. This is the language. He's like, yeah, you see in a con, you just don't dump out all the information for the mark. You make him come and get it while you look like you're holding something back. That way the mark does all the work. He thinks he's the smart one. That's when he's hooked. So what you're telling me is I've been had not once, but twice. This is a very Jim Rockford thing where he's like, my concern is your physical safety. So I'm kind of not paying attention to the emotional situation. Mm -hmm. He's going to come to you as Danny Green, let the police catch him, do the wake-up act, and, as he says, end up on a Valium holiday. Like, this is all part of the act. Like, this is why this is happening now. He Mm -hmm. thinks they're going to find this witness, and so, you know, he's going to keep escalating. He needs to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So she just doesn't accept that. She throws a bowl. Look, you wanted me. You got me. This is the reality. Knocking over dishes, banging into furniture, victim to just about everything. All right, honey. Don't! How do you like it? It's a whole other look. And you better get used to it if you want to stick around here, because this is reality. Enough anger to kill, and it never goes away, ever. Is this some kind of ugly secret, Megan, that that you're an angry person? Hey, come on, you've been through more than most people could ever handle. You're allowed... You pull that stuff on me. Stuff? Oh, boy, that is rich coming from you. My notes are just like, here's an amazing argument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, at the, I'm at the mercy of my environment, and yeah. I can't change that, and I'm angry about it all the time. And Jim's like, you have achieved amazing things despite your environment. I don't understand why you need to do better. You don't need to be perfect. And she's like, you think I'm trying to be perfect? <laughs> uh <laughs> And he doesn't understand how that isn't enough for her. Like, all her achievements and living independently and all that stuff. How is that not enough for you? And I think she says, like, well, finally, something about human nature you don't understand. (laughs) Yes. And if I recall in our movie discussion, they had an argument Mm -hmm. where we talked about how it felt like a very mature, like, these are two, like, adults who are having an argument. This kind of had that overtone to me as well. This is more, this is more sharp this is about something more important i think but like they get to an impasse and it's like okay i guess we're just on different sides of this yeah yeah you know there's a beat and then he's like well how are you going to deal with it Mm -hmm. like we don't need to solve this problem between us we're not going to solve it right now but what are what are you going to do and megan says that he's my patient i'll get through to him that's my job and jim ends on a you're wrong yeah uh yeah it's good scenes (laughs) <laughs> good scenes, good scenes. This is a long episode because there's good scenes to talk about. We do have an interstitial scene here. We see Jim take a long moment outside before he leaves. Yeah, very reluctant. We cut to a thunderstorm. This wakes mm, her up. Good old-fashioned pathetic weather. Uh, she checks the windows to make sure they're shut. We see her hear something. The window mm-hmm. in her living room is open. She shuts it. And this whole time, I think we're like, okay, where is he? You know, yeah. like, this is very <laughs> monster movie. Why are your windows open? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And we get very pointed. Here are the things that she is hearing. Right. Yes. 
uh, like we see the we see the fridge and then we see her listening and we kind of hear a slight whine like the you know the fridge compressor then we see the AC vent and we hear a faint blowing noise as we watch her like listenings I felt like it was a very effective like bringing us into her world where she's just like totally on edge trying to pick out if there's anything unusual from all these usual noises mm-hmm. there's a thump at the door and she she yells out and it's her drunk neighbor who's just wandering down the hall and tried to go into the wrong door all the way back from the first episode where Jim got out of the hallway (laughs) with the drunk neighbor. Um, He wanders away singing like apologies, apologies or something. He's, he's singing apologies to you to the tune of happy birthday. You have apologies to you. I like it. I, at some point I'm going to use that in my life. (laughs) I don't know when, but it's a good one. And then we focus on her as she just sits on her couch curled up on herself clearly Mm -hmm. freaked out just trying to keep control and the the camera pans away from her pulls away from her leaving her there alone in the dark like i said it's it's a downbeat she is she has pushed away her one her one support and now she's all alone i i have i have a theory about the purpose of this scene right okay so first of all we have two uh two episode so you do have time to relax and and do these sorts of things with it um the fact that it's storming out, and that is a direct parallel to the the argument that they just had. Right, right. Like, I feel like this is a, um, I don't want to say artsy, but I think it's a very artsy scene. What's going to happen, I'm going to spoil just a little bit because <laughs> we're getting close, we're getting yeah. there, is she is going to agree with Jim and work with him. And they do a little bit of an audience misdirect yeah. with that. Uh, that I'm not like it's fine. It works out. I'm just not a fan of those kind of audience misdirects in, uh, in general. But like, yeah, it doesn't really seem to have much purpose. But like whatever. Yeah. But this this is uh, this scene is like a nice externally showing us her hitting rock bottom mm-hmm. and 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 deciding that it's not a problem she can resolve. She needs. Jim and Jim comes with Jim's theory. Yeah. I think that's the, the, I don't want to say the use of the scene because I don't want to like characterize it as mm-hmm. it is just a, a utility scene or anything like that. But I think that's, that's what it does. There's an opportunity afforded by the length of this episode to do this kind of thing. And it is, it is taken. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's all well, well said, well put. Well, thank you. We transition into our last sequence here with another shot of glowing light, like our original title. Um, I think it's like a headlight. uh, And then we go to seeing Megan getting out of a cab to go to work. We see Jim in the lobby wearing a little hat as his disguise. (laughs) We then see Danny looking through a door crack, again, echoing Mm -hmm. our first thing. But this time we see him as opposed to just having his perspective. Yeah, we see more than his tinnies. Megan gets in the elevator to go up to her office. There's another passenger. They get off. And then Danny just slips in at the last moment, Mm -hmm. whispers in her ear that she looks awfully pretty, and then grabs her and pulls her to the side so that when they stop at her floor and the doors open it doesn't look like there's anyone in the elevator we see billings in the (laughs) uniform of a janitor doing some janitorial duties in the uh you know in the hallway good old billings and i think that's our sign that we're like they've set up a whole thing like sure rockford was there but like oh there's billings okay the cops are here our question is are they working with her or not? At least right. that was my question. Yeah, that's the audience misdirect of like, she's yeah. just going to work and they're like staking her out. Yeah. Or not. In the elevator, Danny is very creepy. He's holding on to her saying he doesn't want to hurt her, but he has a place all set for them to be alone. Mm-hmm. And then he hits the emergency stop on the 
elevator and gets out on like the top floor, which is like a machine, you know, like a machine floor with like HVAC and, and, and stuff. Yeah. Downstairs, Jim arrives on the floor, asks Billings if Megan came came up. She's, he says he didn't see her, but the elevator opened. It was empty. Uh, Becker comes out of another door. He's like, what's going on? So Becker will go down. Jim will go up um, and they will find uh, find Danny. And this is where Jim says, it took me all night to convince her to try this. Yes. So it's a very brief audience fake but it is resolved quickly and it, it adds to the tension yeah it's fine yeah, yeah. there's plenty of tension there anyways but like mm-hmm. it it you know uh, yeah so he's pulled her into this machine room uh he starts unblo- unbuttoning her blouse which mm-hmm. is very creepy as is supposed to be and she she keeps repeating don't hurt me you don't need to hurt me and then she says the police are going to catch you anyway mm-hmm. and he reacts to that he's like what are you what are you saying you push that emergency button on purpose. You want them to come find yeah. you. Um, you don't need to do anything to me. It doesn't make any sense. You want them to catch you. Mm-hmm. He realizes that they're on to him. Yeah. Yeah. Jim comes into the machine room. He finds her cane that was, uh, you know, fall, fell on the floor. So he knows she's there. So this is all with all this like heavy, like machine noise going on. So there's not soundtrack noise, but there's the diegetic yeah. noisy broom noise. But then she goes a little deeper. She's like, Danny, you chose to come to a therapist for your cover. That was the con you chose because you need help and you know you need help. And that's when Jim comes in. He has his pistol and he shouts, you know, Tatesca. So Danny, Tatesca, shoves Megan away, pulls his knife. And then we have a tense cat and mouse stalking yeah. game of Jim and Danny in the uh, going around all these machine elements. Um, it's pretty, pretty good. Danny gets the drop on Jim. Um, he kicks the gun out of his hand, and then they struggle over his knife. And that's when our tense music comes up along with the <laughs> machine music. Uh, it's very, very exciting. We have a, a meaty brawl. But I think in this, we really see, like, they are, a, like, the size mitch- mismatch is, like, yeah, really yeah. apparent. Yeah, Danny needs the knife. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like, you know, who would win a fight, Spider-Man or Wolverine kind of thing. It's like... <laughs> You know, the fact that we have Jim taking down this, like, pro-mob assassin in fairly (laughs) short order is like, ah, Jim's a badass. Um, (laughs) uh, But he does get a cut. He has a big cut on his shoulder at the end Mm -hmm. of the struggle. But he finally gets a good stomach punch in on Danny. And after a couple more body blows, wins the fight. Our last tension here is Jim and Megan shouting for each other with Megan getting in increasingly panicked as she's disoriented doesn't know she is he finds her you know she feels that he's has a cut he's like are you okay and he says no but i'm sure not complaining (laughs) and they have a a kiss and an embrace and presumably from here justice is served we come to our last scene in the trailer jim has received a letter from charlie charlie wants to return his fee charlie uh there's a humorously written letter along with it they they laugh about oh charlie Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, imitate his accent and stuff. It's pretty funny. Jim asks if she has a cigarette. She says, no, they all went down the garbage disposal last night. She's you know, <laughs> quitting again. So they're, you know, he's on the couch. She's in the little kitchenette. She brings a couple beers over. He says something about her, how she finds, she's finding her way around his place really well. And she's like, well, how do you feel about that? He says that he likes it. He likes it a lot. <laughs> There's some flirty banter. Um, her getting used to having him around, but she thinks that he likes that she can't see him. She thinks that if he 
she could see him, he she'd see a little red in his face because uh, it makes it easier <laughs> for him to say what he really feels. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Like you said in the restaurant, I'm going to be the warden. I'm going to be coming to get you. Oh, yeah? Well, you just keep coming. I'll probably go quietly. And then they, they have a big kiss, and they embrace, and we see Jim's face, and he's smiling, content, happy. Mm-hmm. And we see Megan's face over his shoulder, same, and we freeze frame on her smiling face as the end of our episode. End credits, and you hear the wah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, my final note here is, is oh, these two. Oh, these two. Uh, I love the Charlie bit at the end where he's like, I didn't actually save you from anything. So here's it reflects the earlier part where uh, Megan was trying to pay Jim for not mm-hmm. doing his job. There's lots of nice motifs throughout this whole thing where they tie things neatly together. It had a nice uh, uh, break moment in the middle, but it felt like an entire episode and not like a, like, we'll be back Mm -hmm. next time for another exciting episode in the Rockford (laughs) Files. Yeah, there's like a tiny bit of dialogue in the first scene after, you know, the first scene of the second episode that I think is probably there because they're like, we know this is going to get broken up for syndication. Right. So there's a little bit of, as you know, this is what just happened, but it's very minor and it's just, you know, it goes by really quick. I ended this, you know, I, I went in, I was like, oh, it's a two-parter. Okay. I was like, I'm like, yeah. right, I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll get myself this. ready. Let's do this. And then when, when it was over, I was like, what a great two-parter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like listening to our episode, it probably will feel more of a slog than actually watching <laughs> this yeah, yeah. and watching this show because the the pacing's so good their chemistry is just really yeah i mean fantastic. we knew that from the movie as well right yeah, like it, yeah i am just checking now i think we're in agreement that the next episode we're gonna we're going to do her her other her final yeah appearance. love is the word mm-hmm. all right I'm clicking on that we're gonna find out that is an hour-long episode okay good <laughs> uh i mean i don't mind i don't mind her being in exclusively two hour long rockford file stuff but like right. um yeah and actually i think if i remember correctly uh imdb had the length of the movie listed wrong yeah it said it was like two hours and it was yeah, you know, yeah. like 135 like an hour and a half. or 140 yeah uh, so the last one ended before I thought it was going to end in this one. Well, I mean, I knew when this one was going to end this time. But, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I will all, always miss Beth, but this right. is a good love interest for, for Rockford. Oh, and, for sure. I think we, we mentioned this when we, when we talked about Coop, but that that's kind of the line on this. So this is the fifth season. And it's yeah. like they kind of split what Beth does in the show into two characters and the legal mm-hmm. The legal part is Coop and the romantic slash entanglement part is Megan. Um, And I think even while I do think this is kind of thematically very similar to Crackback, as I mentioned, the characters are very different. Like, I do not feel like this is a Beth stand in. Yeah. Like every so often there's a character and we'll talk about like, well, 
if Beth was in the show in this episode, she this would be Beth instead of like whoever this you know yeah character is. But um, yeah, no, this she's I guess I guess just what what I don't know impresses me. What I'm taking away, I'm not quite sure how to explain it. I'm a little awed by how fully realized this character is. Yeah. And that's, you know, to the credit of the writing, obviously, but it's also like huge credit to Catherine Harold for just like, yeah, just doing a great job. I mean, I don't really, you know, know her from other stuff, but if I saw her name in credits, I would be excited. Yeah. <laughs> like just based on this, I'd be like, oh, great. She's awesome. She's great in the movie, obviously, but in the movies, I often say it feels like these characters just picked up right where they left off and like, yeah. The character in the movie just feels 100% in continuity with this character as we have met her in this episode. If we had done all of this stuff in order, mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, it would have been season five, so it would have been pretty close to when we were about to start watching the movies. But I definitely would have had, like, because again, that movie opened up with him walking by her and, like, seeing her and her not, well, obviously not seeing him, but, like, you know, him having, like, oh, this blast from the past. I, I would have remembered her, right? Like, I would have been like, oh, oh, wow. All mm-hmm. right, she's going to be in this, you know. Mm-hmm. Very memorable character. Um, I like how she doesn't take Jim's guff the same way Beth doesn't. But it's, again, like you said, it just, she doesn't feel like a replacement for Beth. The Rockford Files will often have, like, a romantic thing happening with Jim and one of the, you know, one of the characters and a lot of them, you just think, oh, that's just going to that's just the thing that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. This doesn't have like this isn't going to last. This this relationship is given to us with. Yeah. With the implication that like, yeah, she's going to be around. Yeah. Like you you generally don't get Rocky. I mean, like occasionally you do get Rocky like uh, interacting with the women that Jim has to interact with and him being very like, are you the, are you going to be right. are you my daughter in law? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's just. From the, I think I'm going to like her, mm-hmm. <laughs> to I need grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a good episode. Yeah. But I think we also see how there are things that, you know, are going to drive them apart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like they do have some core personality conflicts that just, as we will see, come up again later. Yeah. Yeah. I am really curious about this next one because... Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if I actually saw it because I did when we started the podcast, I don't think I had gone through all of the episodes. And so I stopped like, Mm -hmm. like we talked about in our plus expenses, uh, stopped watching them for fun. Um, it's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I've seen this season six one. I don't recall if I have either. It's centered directly on the stuff we're talking about. Like the premise is that she, she is now engaged to someone and yeah. <laughs> Jim needs to help her. <laughs> it's like, okay, well that's right in the, right in the zone of all the stuff that we've been seeing from these two episodes or the movie in this episode. So yeah. So we'll do that one next. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is another, uh, another big chunk, but I'm glad we, glad we did it. I think we're probably ready to sign off now. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to burn through the rest of these two at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right. That all said, uh, unlike Jim, who did not earn any money, we uh, hopefully earned <laughs> our $200 for today. That's yes. something we used to say that sometimes I remember to say still. <laughs> we already know which one we'll be talking about next time, but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. Bam, <laughs> bam,